From pediatrics to geriatrics, Maine Medical Center is centered around you. Welcome to MMC Radio, your trusted source for healthcare news and tips. Here's Melanie Cole. One in every 20 Americans over the age of 50 may experience peripheral artery disease. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Blazik. She's a vascular surgeon with Maine Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Blazik. Tell the listeners what's peripheral arterial disease. Peripheral arterial disease is when there's a deposit of, fla- of fatty plaques, which is also called atherosclerosis, which develops in the arterial vessel walls. Uh, it can happen really in any, any artery throughout the body, body with it, whether it's in the heart or to the arteries to the brains or uh, oftentimes to the arteries in the legs. So who is at risk for this type of disease? So the major risk factors in people who develop PAD is high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and probably one of the most important and the most controllable is smoking. Uh, The other group of people that we see this very commonly in is patients who have diabetes. Uh, These are also the same risk factors that can often affect people who have cardiac disease or who have had strokes. Does it affect women more than men? Um, well, it is, it is a bit more common in men than women, but um, both really both genders are at risk. So what, how would somebody know that they've got this? Would there be certain things they feel? Because people always say, oh, I'm looking for a blood clot, and they put their hand on their leg looking for that warm spot that they're supposed How would they know? Well, oftentimes peripheral artery disease can be asymptomatic. And again, as, as I mentioned, it can affect multiple different arteries throughout the body, be it the heart or the, uh, or the, the arteries in the neck that go to the brain, the carotid arteries. Uh, so if they were to affect those areas of the body, that would be something that could lead to heart disease or heart attack or a stroke or symptoms of a mini-stroke called a TIA. Um, but one of the other more common symptoms that we see is something called claudication, which is pain in the lower extremities when you're walking. Um, This is really a result of too little blood flow, um, usually during exercise. So when people walk, they will notice they'll develop some cramping, most commonly in the calves, but sometimes in the thighs or even in the buttock area. So this is what's confusing to some people, Dr. Blazik, because sometimes it can be an overuse, it can be a sore tendon, it can be, you know, a number of musculoskeletal things that you feel in the calf sometimes. Correct. When you feel that pain and you're on your treadmill or you're exercising, do you run off to the doctor to get checked? Not necessarily. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that, that patients should consider is whether or not they have one of those risk factors that we talked about. Uh, peripheral artery disease is more common in older patients and, again, in those patients who have other risk factors like high blood pressure, hypertension, and particularly cigarette smokers and diabetics. Uh, it's not to say that somebody can develop these symptoms even in the absence of all of those uh, other uh, conditions, um, but generally the thing that se- separates this is that from, uh, from things like muscle strains or, or sprains or difficulties with uh, the muscles or the bones is that it's a pretty reproducible pain within the muscles themselves. Um, if patients say, you know, every time I walk down two aisles at the grocery store, this pain comes on, and then when I, when I stop and rest, it goes away. But then if I walk two more aisles, the pain comes on again, and it's pretty reliable and pretty reproducible. That's generally the classic type of symptoms that we see associated with claudication and peripheral vascular disease. And how is it diagnosed? 
Well, the, the first thing that we, we do is we do a really thorough physical exam and a history on the patient. Uh, we try to assess their risk factors, um, and then we'll, what we'll do is we'll check the legs and we'll check the pulses in the legs. Um, if people have, don't have pulses that we can feel with our fingers, then we can use other tests such as a Doppler, which is uh, it's like an ultrasound, um, or we can do what's called uh, an arteriobrachial index, which is a non-invasive study that basically helps us to qualify uh, what the blood flow is to the legs. And oftentimes this can help us to make an, a preliminary determination if there's a narrowing or a blockage that's resulting in decreased blood flow to the legs, whereabouts in the blood vessels that that area of disease might be. And if you've determined that somebody does have peripheral arterial disease, what can be done for them? So first and foremost is getting control of those things that we can change. So if someone is smoking, they need to stop smoking immediately. Uh, smoking is the biggest risk factor for, for this claudication and these relatively minor symptoms developing along into major symptoms when people think about uh, things like pain in their feet that doesn't go away or even losing toes or amputation, um, smoking is the number one thing that we can control. So we really, really are very aggressive with smoking cessation in, in, uh, in these patients. Uh, the other thing to do, too, is to get a handle on cholesterol levels. And uh, we really start most of our patients on one of the statin medications, uh, like simvastatin or atorvastatin. Uh, even in patients who have normal cholesterol levels, uh, these medications have been shown to extend benefits to patients in terms of disease progression who have peripheral artery disease. So while we'll check a cholesterol level, we will oftentimes start patients on a statin medication, even if those numbers are okay. Uh, the other thing to do, too, is to be uh, very aggressive at trying to get uh, people's blood glucose under control if they're a diabetic. So we will uh, really, really work with the primary care providers or the endocrinologists in terms of trying to get a better handle on that. And then in terms of the patients, the one thing that we really have them do is to focus on an exercise program. We, the one thing that they can do uh, starting now to really help their symptoms is to help build up the collateral network, which is basically the, the way that the body compensates for narrowings or for blockages in blood vessels. So we will tell patients to start walking and really try to get on a scheduled program at least three days a week, um, either on a treadmill or if they have the ability to walk outside, but someplace where they can consistently and reliably increase their walking levels. And over uh, about two months or so, patients will really start to notice a difference. So then when does it resort to an intervention of some type or having to do angioplasty, something along those lines? So I really try to make sure that I have done everything from a medical standpoint. So I, I'm pretty insistent that patients really commit to getting all tobacco off. So no more smoking, no more patches, no e-cigarettes. Those are great adjuncts to try to help somebody in their quitting process, but I ultimately want people to become free of uh, tobacco and nicotine. So if someone has stopped smoking, if are, their diabetes is under control, if they're taking the statin medications, uh, they're taking all of their medications as prescribed, but they still come and say, you know, doctor, I can't, I can't do my job right now. I can't do the things that I, I can't go shopping. I can't take care of my home. I can't do those things because my legs are hurting so badly that, um, that I, I 
I just can't take care of the things I need to take care of, um, or in patients who have noticed a progression in their symptoms despite walking and doing those things, and they start to notice either sores on their feet or pain in their feet even when they're, when they're resting or sleeping. That's the patients that I will move along towards doing something a little bit more uh, invasive, such as an angiogram. And if you do that, then tell the listeners, what is it you're really hoping to accomplish with those kinds of procedures? So first and foremost, what that procedure will do is it will give me a good roadmap for how the blood flow is to the, to the legs, uh, essentially from the, from the belly all the way down uh, to the toes. And so the, that's the first thing that I need to know is that where is there an area of disease or blockage? Um, Sometimes if the area is a, very, a fairly short area or um, that's affected or blocked, that's something that we might be able to treat with a balloon or with a stent, which is very similar to uh, what a lot of people have heard have, that happens for heart disease. Um, it's essentially the same sort of um, procedure that a cardiac catheterization or a cardiac stent is, except that we use bigger stents for the, for the arteries and the legs. Um, so if we are able to go in there and to treat this with a, with a stent um, or a balloon, then that will save a patient a much more invasive operation such as a bypass. What's life like for someone with claudication, with peripheral artery disease? If they do or don't have the stent or the angioplasty, whatever they get done, is this something that can reduce over time and get those plaques off their artery walls? Are they going to be able to walk without pain? What's life like for them? So if patients are, if patients are very committed to making the, the lifestyle changes um, we can see a really significant improvement in their quality of life. Uh, we have seen patients who have come in who have had claudication so bad that they weren't able to do the things that they like to do, such as play tennis or ski or, or any of the things that they used to be able to enjoy. But if those patients really do commit to quitting smoking and to working on a, on a regular exercise program, these patients can, can become pain-free. Um, the, the the important thing to remember, though, is that this isn't something that you can just work towards uh, and, and then once you get uh, improvement in your symptoms to stop exercising. It's really important to commit to a lifelong healthy, uh, healthy lifestyle with taking care of your medications, taking care of your other, uh, other diseases like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and really staying active with a walking program. Um, if, the, if somebody gets to the point where they will require to have a stent or a balloon, I think the important thing to remember there is that that is something that's going to require long-term surveillance with your vascular surgeon. Uh, I don't put a stent in somebody and then say, good luck, uh, you know, you're, send you on your way, we're not going to see you again. I think it's very important to continue to follow patients because these stents can, can narrow over time, they can, these uh, disease processes can reoccur, and the symptoms can return. So I always bring my patients back on a fairly regular basis to check to see how they're doing, and if it looks like there's something that's, uh, that's going awry, we can try to get on top of it and intervene on it early. And tell the listeners your best advice and why they should come to Maine Medical Center for their care. Tell us about your team. Uh, so I, um, I work with five other vascular and endovascular surgeons who really we do the full uh, array of vascular procedures from aortic aneurysms to interventions on carotid disease 
and uh, lower extremity uh, uh, blockages, as well as venous, uh, varicose veins, CVTs. Uh, we really have a very broad spectrum of patients that we treat. And then we also work within a larger uh, institute called the Cardiovascular Institute, uh, which also uh, encompasses our cardiology colleagues as well as some uh, interventional radiologists who also perform some of the angio, angiogram and angioplasty techniques. Um, so I think that the, the one thing that I, is so impressive of our group is that we have a very broad uh, range of providers um, who are very committed to our patients and to patient care, and we have each other's expertise and abilities um, to work with each other and really provide patients with uh, really all-encompassing care. Thank you so much, Dr. Blazik, for being with us today. It's such great information. You're listening to MMC Radio. And for more information, you can go to mmc.org. That's mmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.